Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He's the same. Whatever he did in the past, he can do today. And I know that we have a great number of people who believe in Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus. And there's quite a difference. I think actually one of the greatest sins of Christians today, of believers, is unbelief. If we believed him, we could still be doing what has been done in the past. I want you to open God's word with me today. The book of Acts chapter 2. The second chapter of the book of Acts. I believe that Peter stood up that day. And he didn't know whether he'd ever have this crowd again or not. And I believe that he gave the most important message that God could lay on his heart. And if, if I had one opportunity to preach to anybody, lost people or saved people. I believe that I would preach this message today. And the message is, this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That's the heart of his message. In the book of Acts, the second chapter, just one verse of scripture. And that's verse 36, the heart of his message at Pentecost. Peter said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you'll bless your word to our hearts. And God, in me there's nothing, but you are all. So Lord, I'm depending on you to give us your message today. You speak to our hearts. Give us spiritual ears to hear you, spiritual hearts to understand you. Lord, we know that you are right here with us today. You've promised to be here. And I know then that you do not lie, so all the imps of hell could not keep you out of this place today. Thank you for being here, Lord. But God, I pray that each and every one of us will encounter you, that you will minister to us, 
that we can be better ministers in the world today and tomorrow. So, Father, for all that you do, we thank you in advance because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Jesus is both Lord and Christ. So, today, let's deal with that. Let's think about it together. Let's think about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To do that, we need to get an understanding of the meaning of the word Lord. The first thing that we must do is try to comprehend this word. We use it. We use it almost as if it's part of his name, the Lord Jesus. But Lord is his title. Jesus is his name. So let's get something of the meaning of this word. The word here is Adonai. And it means master or the one who is in absolute control. The first use of this word is found in the book of Genesis, the 15th chapter, verse 1 and 2. Jehovah spoke to Abram and said, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abraham, who was called Abram at that time, said, Lord God, which in the Hebrew is Adonai, or Master. God was Lord to Abraham. He considered himself God's servant, or putting it more plainly, Abraham considered himself the bond slave of Jesus Christ, of God, of Jehovah. In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, God dealt with Moses. He called him to a burning bush, and that bush burned and burned and burned. The, the fact that it burned was not unusual out there on the desert. But the fact that it burned and burned and burned and it did not burn up caused Moses to say, I got to go take a look at this bush. And he went there and God spoke to him out of the bush. You know, any old bush will do, me or you. Doesn't make any difference. The important thing is God in the bush. And so God spoke to him out of the bush. He uh, caused Moses to throw his rod down. It turned into a snake. He told him, reach out and get it by the tail. You're not going to grab a snake by the tail. But he reached out and did that, and it turned back to the rod. He caused his hand to be leprous, told him to put it in his bosom. It turned back clean again. And so after God 
showed who he was and spoke to him, Moses said to him, Adonai, God, Lord, Master. So the word Lord means to us Master, the one who's in control. And we are to be God's bond slave. You know, I think that most of us, most Christians today, treat God as if God was their servant rather than they being God's servant. Most prayers go something like this. Lord, do this for me. God, go over there and do that for me. We tell God where we want him to go, what we want him to do. We treat God as if he's our servant. But we need to realize that we are God's servant. He is master. He is the one who's in control. We need more to say, as Paul said on the Damascus Road, Lord, what will you have me do? rather than what I want you to do. So the meaning of the word Lord then is master, or the one who's in control. And Peter said, this Jesus is master. He is Lord. God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus. You know, Jesus was a common name, really. But Peter wanted them to understand it's this Jesus. This Jesus who was prophesied of in the Old Testament. And he's fulfilled every prophecy. This Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary. This Jesus who has worked miracles in your presence. This Jesus who has healed the sick and raise the dead. This Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. This Jesus who died the just for the unjust. This Jesus who you crucified, and by his own power, he raised himself from the grave on the third day. This Jesus who's gone back to the Father. This Jesus who's coming again. Amen? Boy, you're weak in your amens. You with me? You still awake? He's coming back again. Amen? Amen? All right, let's get with it. This Jesus is our master. We are to obey him. In the book of Luke, the sixth chapter, in verse 46, Jesus says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Men, what a question. Why would you say you are my master, but then you go do what you want to do instead of what he wants you to do? Why would we do that? Why would we say you're in control, and yet we control our own lives? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then... You don't obey me. Why would you? 
why would you or anyone say, Jesus, you're in control of my life, and then I'm going to do what I want to do? That doesn't fit, does it? Not at all. As our master, Jesus owns us. He owns you. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 19 and 20, he's, it says, What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Body, soul, and spirit, I belong to Jesus. If you are a child of God, body, soul, and spirit, you belong to Jesus Christ. So since Jesus bought us and we belong to him, we're his slave. He is Adonai, master. Now the lordship of Jesus is absolutely necessary in all of our life. And I, I preach this today because it's, God led me to do it. But, you know, I, I've got a neighbor. He chases every kind of religious thing that there is. And so not long back, I encountered him out there on the street. Be honest with you, I bored him all I can. But anyway, I encountered him out there, and he he now is hung up on some kind of something that says all you got to do to be a Christian, all you got to do to be a child of God, just believe in Jesus. You don't have to know him as Lord. Just believe in Jesus. Easy believism. The devil believes. The devil knows he's the son of God. But he's not Lord of the devil. Folks, the lordship of Jesus is necessary in our total lives. It's necessary in salvation. In the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, Verses 8 through 10. The Bible says, but what does it say? The word is near you even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Actually, if we put it in our language here, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is your Lord. Is Jesus your Lord today? And believe in your heart, not your head. Believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved, for with the heart, Man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever 
shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, we call upon the name of the Lord, invoking him to be our Lord. I think we've got a lot of church members today who believe in Jesus with their head, but not with the hearts, never going to the heart. Now, I hope everyone here, you believe with all the heart. But let me just tell you, I know that there's a lot of people who believe with their head because in my ministry, in those years of evangelism, I've had one pastor get saved, several deacons get saved, pastor's wife got saved, a number of church people got saved. Why? Because they believed in Jesus. We've let people walk the aisle. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Man, let me tell you something. I believed in Jesus because my mother taught me that. My mother read the Bible to me when I was a kid. And she told me that Jesus was the Son of God. I believed it. She told me that Jesus died on the cross. I believed it. She told me that he was buried, and on the third day he arose. I believed it. She told me he went back to heaven. I believed it. She told me he was coming again. I believed it. She told me there was a heaven and a hell. I believed it, but I was as lost as I could be. I went forward. When I was about 12 years old over there in Henderson, North Carolina, in a tobacco warehouse revival meeting. That's where it was being held. He preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit worked with me. He said to come forward. I went forward. I got on my knees. After a while, somebody came by and put his arm around me and prayed something. I don't know what he prayed. And then he got up and went on. I thought, am I a Christian? I must be. The next day, I remember sitting out in front of my house on my bicycle thinking, I'm a Christian. What am I supposed to do now? And I grew up thinking I was a Christian because I had gone forward. He had prayed. I believed in Jesus. But it was not till I was 21 years of age and returned from Korea, went home on furlough, Started back to my next place of service, which is going to be in Ogden, Utah. And on the way in Tennessee, I had a wreck. Went back home for two more weeks while I repaired my car. And it was on that extended furlough that God, the Holy Spirit, dealt with Jim Harris. And he said to me something that I had said to many guys, and they had said to me in the, there in the Air Force, we'd see our friends say, hey, where you going? Throw up our hands, say to hell if we don't do better, and keep going. And that day, the Holy Spirit said to me, Jim Harris, you're going to hell. He showed it to me. And by the grace of God, I got up from where I was, excused myself, went out of the house, got in my car, drove home, walked across the living room where all my family was gathered around, 
walked back again, walked again across. Pop said, son, what's wrong with you? And I said, Pop, you got to pray for me. He said, I thought you were all right. You see, I said I would believed in Jesus. I had joined the church, and, and I, I thought I was a Christian. But I said, no, Pop, it's got to be now or never. And so I got on my knees in front of my mother who was sitting in a chair. Papa got on one side, an older sister on the other side, and they prayed this sinner out of hell and into heaven because I believed then with all my heart I was committed to Jesus Christ. He saved my soul. He became my Lord. My Lord. And I became his servant. Thank God for it. Oh, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary for us to become a child of God. There is no salvation unless Jesus becomes your Lord. The Lordship of Jesus is necessary not only for the beginning of the Christian life, but for all of the living of the Christian life. You know, him being our Lord and we being his servant, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, you're perfect, or anybody's perfect. Paul, who said it, he was not perfect. Abraham was not perfect. Moses was not perfect. David was not perfect, certainly. But for each and every one, God. Adonai became their Lord and their master. Thank God he's Lord. And when he becomes Lord, he stays there. And we stay as a child of God. I get up every morning, Pastor. I go in my son's room to sit down to have breakfast and look out that great sky. I see that great sky and I realize that God made it all and beyond all that I can see that is in the universe, he made it. And then I see a little bird fly out of the tree and go to the ground. And I said, God, you see that bird. And you tell me that I'm of more value than a sparrow. He's Lord. He's Lord. My Lord. Is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? I tell you what. If that doesn't give you a hallelujah, something's wrong. He's Lord of my life. Now. I'm going to let Jesus give you a test today. He gives us a test of lordship. I want you to take it. It's found in the book of Luke, the 14th chapter. If you got this scripture, you can put it up there for me. Acts 14, chapter. This test has three questions. 
And it's going to prove whether he's your Lord or not. I hate a test with three questions. If you miss one of them, you've already flunked. I like a test with about 50 questions, don't you? That way I can guess a bunch of them. But when it gets down to just three questions, I don't have a chance to miss any of them. So listen to the test he's going to give you. I don't give it. It's right here in God's Word. If you got it up here, look at it. If you don't have it, open your Bible and look at it. Luke chapter 14. The first question, is Jesus in your life over all your family and everybody else? Is Jesus first in your life over everybody? Listen to what he says here. It's found in the 26th verse of the 14th chapter. Jesus said, if any man, Anybody comes to me and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. Now, does he mean I got to hate my family like, like we use the word hate? No, that's not what he's saying. He's using here an oriental idiom as comparing love to hate. He's saying your love for him has got to be absolutely superior, above and beyond your love for any human being. And he doesn't take strangers. He doesn't take the people you don't like. Look at the ones he took here. He said... Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, your sister, and for us older people, your little grandbaby. Jesus first. Jesus first. Lord, Jesus first over every living human being. Do you pass the first question? Is Jesus absolutely first over anybody in your life? Hope you passed. Second question. Is Jesus first over yourself? He said in the latter part here, verse 26, and also in verse 27 here, he said, and your own life also, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, folks, there's no degrees in Christianity. Some people think, well, I'm a Christian, but I may not be a disciple. Uh-uh. A disciple is a follower of. And if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
If you're a follower of Christ, you're a Christian. So, is Jesus Christ first over yourself? That's self-love. Self-ambition. Self-desires. Self-wants. Self. Paul said, I am crucified. I'm put to death. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead, Paul said. Another time, he put it also, the fact that he said, for me to die is good for me. But he said, if I live, Christ is going to live all over again through me. If I live, Christ is living again. Jesus Christ lives in you as a child of God, right? He lives in you. He lives in you. Not something out from Christ, but Jesus Christ himself. How does he do it? I don't know. He's God. And I'm just a little old bitty man. But he lives in every child of God. Here in Wilmington, in Salisbury where I live, in Africa, in wherever. If you are a child of God, Jesus lives all over again in you. That's what Paul said. He said... For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I live, Jesus is living all over again in me. Now, that's the second question. Is Jesus first over everybody? Is Jesus first over yourself? Third question. It's found in verse 33 here. He says, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Does that mean I lock the door of my house and lock the door of my car and walk away from it? No, that's not what it means. It means that Jesus is to be first in my life over anything and everything, anything that I have anything that I might want, anything that I might see, Jesus is first over everything. That's it. Is Jesus first over everything in your life? Look at those three questions. Jesus first over everybody. Jesus first over yourself. Jesus first over everything. There's nothing in your life that you will ever encounter that does not come in at least one of those categories. 
everything you ever have to deal with, every decision you have, ever have to make, it comes in at least one of those three categories. Other people, yourself, and things. So when you make that decision, you don't have to wrestle with everything every day. You've already decided Jesus is Lord. He is master. He's in control. He is first in my life over myself, over other people, and over everything. So what do I do? I call him master and obey him. When Jesus is first, it makes a difference in your life. And folks, people who have had this difference made in their life can make a difference in the world. But for some reason, we're letting the devil have a heyday today. We don't have to do it because Jesus is still all-powerful. Amen? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus Christ can do today what he did in the 70s, the 60s, the 50s? I'm not even going back to when he was here on earth. Do you believe it? If we put him where he belongs first, then he can live in us and he can do anything today he's ever done. Anything he's ever done. I had a friend one time that said, Jim, you know there's more difference between one and two than there is between two and ten? I thought, man, you graduated in theology, not in math. But look at it. A single-minded person can turn the world upside down. That crazy idiot Hitler almost did it. When you are single-minded, you can make a difference. The apostle Paul was single-minded. And it was said about him, they that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. But we Christians today are taken with ourselves. We're taken with People were taken with the world when we should be single-minded. Now, I said, man, what do you mean? He said, a single person, a man that's single-minded can make a difference. He can turn the world upside down. But he said, once you're divided to two You've lost your power. 
And it doesn't really make any difference then whether you're divided in two or ten. There's more difference between one and two than there is between two and ten in what we do for Christ, what we allow Christ to do through us. Jesus is Lord. Is he your Lord? I'm talking about now according to the word of God. Is he your Lord? You say, he, he saved me. He's your, my Savior. Is Jesus your Lord? Jesus is Master. Is he your Master? If Jesus is your Lord and Master, you are his slave. You actually belong to him. Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? Lord, what would you have me to do in my church? Lord, what would you have me to do on my job? Lord, what would you have me to do this day wherever I am? I know one thing. He would have you to be the witness that he wants you to be. And the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and comes into every born-again child of God to do one thing, to enable and empower us to be the witness for Jesus Christ that can make a difference in this world. Is Jesus your Lord? God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, who died for you on the cross of Calvary, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Is he your Lord? Let's stand, let's pray. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. The invitation is for you to come and let Jesus do in you what you need to have done that only he can do. If you've never been born again, if you're like Jim Harris was, you believe in Jesus, but you've never been born again. I'm going to ask you to come, walk down this aisle, take the preacher by the hand, and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. You come for salvation. You may need to come today and Kneel and say, God, forgive me. I've tried to be your boss. And I have not recognized that you are my boss. I rededicate my life to you today. 
letting you be boss in my life. You can come and speak to the pastor. He'll pray with you. Or you can just come and kneel here at the front pew and or sit on the front pew and pray and rededicate that life of yours to Jesus. I don't know, there may be somebody here today, you're a child of God, but you're kind of floating around. You need to come and unite with this church and say, Lord, I'm here to serve you. You're my Lord. I don't know. God has spoken to your heart today. All I ask is you let him be Lord and obey him. Father, thank you that you are Adonai. You are Lord. You are Master. And God, I'm so glad that you saved my sinful soul. And today I can call you Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And I hope everybody here can today say, Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Lord, have your way in this invitation. And while we sing, while the Spirit of God speaks, give us your grace to move out and obey you. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. While we're singing, while the Spirit speaks and your pastor stands here at the front, you come and let God have his way right now. Let's sing together, I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen. Follow him. I have decided right now, to step out from where you are. Jesus. I have decided Is Jesus your Lord? Nobody else in the world will go forward. I will. I'm confident that God, the Holy Spirit, is dealing with somebody right now. Right now. He's speaking to your heart. Will you obey him?